Amen. Thank you, Pam, for that faithful reading of God's Word from Ephesians. And so it is Valentine's Day. We talk about love a lot on days like today, especially on days like today. Um, And we're going to talk about love this morning in our sermon as well. Um, We want to make sure we're talking about the right kind of love. And the right kind of love is what Pam just read from Ephesians 3. Wow. Wow. Read Ephesians 3 again. And allow your heart and your soul to get to a place to say, wow. Because that is what true love is. And we're going to be focusing on this four-dimensional idea of God's love this morning that Pam read from Ephesians 3. How wide and how high and how deep and how long is the love of God, the love of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to continue on in our series in Mark. But I wanted to make sure we read that passage on a day like today to zero us in on what the love of Christ is. And then we're going to look at Mark 5 today. Uh, to look at a story of how this kind of love gets experienced and how Jesus encounters uh, a very specific person with this transformative power of love in Mark 5. So this morning, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark 5. We're going to be looking at a famous story of Jesus healing a man with a demon. Healing a man with a demon. And if you've been tracking with us in Mark and our Story of the Savior series, This spring, you've seen that demons have already shown up in the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we're going to hit that head on. Not we. Jesus is going to hit that head on. And we're going to watch him as he encounters this man with a demon. So when you think of love, uh, what do you think of? When you hear the phrase, God loves you, what do you think of? I often, I confess that I often let the phrase, God loves me, just kind of roll off. It's an assumption. And my, my other assumption is that if you walk onto Salem State campus or out into the middle of Salem and you hold up a sign that says God loves you, unfortunately, I think that phrase has kind of lost its transformative power to most people. It's been used a lot. It's a, it's a profound three words to say, but I, don't, I think often we may have... Um, lost the transformative power of it as we communicate it. And so this morning, let's try to regain that as we see how Jesus loves someone. So there's two words you're going to see in in Mark 5. Actually, let me rephrase that. There's two words that you're not going to see in Mark 5 this morning. And there are two words that I'm going to focus on. And you may say, well, that's kind of cheapening the text. I don't think it is, actually. I think these two words you can find behind the text. And the two words are this, love and soul. And so this morning's title is Jesus, the lover of our soul. You're not going to see the word soul mentioned, but I think that's what Jesus is targeting. And you're not going to see the word love, but I think that's what Jesus is demonstrating. So let me read Mark 5, 1 to 20 briefly. I'm going to read it quickly, but then we're going to jump in to answer the question, what is the love of God? And then we're going to look at just a couple of brief points this morning. Mark 5, 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. 
Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And these pigs and the demons begged, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And Jesus gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. And they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to all your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. So this morning, just briefly, we'll look at two little points here. One, we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with this person. We're going to look at it through the frame of those four-dimensional aspects of God's love. How wide, how high, how deep, how long. And then we're going to look at God's love and how it applies to you and me today. So first thing, how wide and long and high and deep is Jesus' encounter here with this demon-possessed man? So first, the location of this story, if you read the end of Mark 4 last week, you saw Jesus walking on water. He told the disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. He doesn't say why, he just said, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they, go to the, they get on the boat, they go to the other side of the lake, and a storm hits while they're on the lake. And everybody's terrified. And then you see Jesus... Uh, with this amazing miracle, this amazing story we all know about. Then they get to the other side of the lake here in Mark 5, and this is where it shows up, this, this passage. And again, we don't know why Jesus went there. It doesn't say why he decided to go to the other side of the lake. He just said, let's go. And so the first point here, what is the width of Jesus's encounter here? How wide is Jesus casting his net when he encounters this person? Again, why is he going to the other side of the lake? Is he staying within the cultural bounds here? Are there any barriers limiting how far Jesus will go to share his love? And the answer is no. When Jesus went to the other side of the lake, he was widening his ministry to a group of people that were very different than who he had been ministering to so far. And we know that for a couple of reasons. This was disputed territory. It still is today. Israel, as you know, is a complicated political place. 
And even to this day, this area where Jesus goes, the land of the Gerasenes, is a disputed territory. The Jews and the Gentiles fight over it. But at this time, it was very much a Gentile-led place. So this is not a place where Jewish people live, and Jewish people didn't go there very often. This is Gentile territory. It was kind of like going, like when you drive into another town. It's like going from Salem to Beverly, and you start to see signs that say, this is Beverly Panther territory. Like, Jesus was going into the land of the Gerasenes, and it was like, this is Gentile territory. It's almost like this ominous feeling. Why would you be going there? And we know this because this was, there were pigs there. Again, you may not know very much about Jewish people, but you probably know that they don't eat pork. And pigs are very unclean animals to Jewish people. So when you start seeing pig herdsmen, it's a big insight. This is a Gentile area. Jesus was widening his ministry to the Gentiles. How wide is Jesus' encounter? It's very wide. Because I'm, I'm going to take for granted, I think every one of us in this room is probably a Gentile person. And this is one instance for us where we see this is where Jesus widens ministry, widens salvation to people like you and me who are not part of the original plan of God. Not part of God's original call to Israel. Jesus is now coming to fulfill the deeper plan that God had unveiled that now is being transformed through the Gentile people. So what is the length, then, of Jesus' encounter? Jesus' love is long, right? It's, it's got a length to it. Is there a cutoff time to Jesus' encounter here? In other words, does anything limit Jesus' time here? Actually, yes. There comes a time later in this story where the people are afraid and they say, Jesus, can you please leave us? Can you please get out of here? And you notice that Jesus is like, okay, I'll leave. So on one hand, the answer is yes. There is a, a time length here that Jesus cut off. But the other hand, that's no. Jesus came specifically for a, a, an amount of time that he fulfilled, that he was efficient in using his time. It says in verse 2, Jesus stepped off the boat and, remember this is a big word in Mark, immediately the man came to Jesus, the demon-possessed man. He came straight up to Jesus and said, what are you doing here? Why did Jesus go to the other side of the lake? He came to visit this man. How long did he need to be there? Long enough to see this man transformed. Didn't take very long, did it? How long is Jesus' encounter? It's long enough for that demon-possessed man. How long is Jesus' encounter with you and me? Long enough to transform you and me. It can be that quick, or it can take years and years of people praying. But God, his timing is perfect for you and for me. It's not about a length of time. It's about a quality of encounter. And Jesus packs a heavy punch here in this encounter with the demon-possessed man. How high? What is the height of Jesus' encounter here with the demon-possessed man? Is there a ceiling that gets reached here? What I mean by this is, is there anything that's happening in this story that would tell Jesus, okay, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I'm going to bump my head if I go any higher in my encounter here. Does he bump his head on any kind of ceiling here that would, that would alert him to go the other direction? So we moved into a new house a couple weeks ago, and we have an attic space, and there's a pipe in this attic that just always gets me. 
where I stand up and I hit my head on it every time. I feel like I'm going to have a permanent bump right here because I keep standing up and hitting this little pipe. Does that happen to Jesus in this encounter? No. There is nothing that Jesus bumps his head on. And he had plenty of opportunities to bump his head and go the other direction. First thing we see is that this man was living in the tombs. That's enough of something for me where I would usually go the other direction. If I met a guy that was living in the graveyards, I'd be a little wary of interacting with that person. Just me. Jesus doesn't mind. This guy was living in the tombs. That's a very unclean place. A very creepy place. (laughs) Graveyards then were the same as they are today. But Jesus doesn't. He's not afraid of that. Another thing we see is that he is like scarily strong. This guy breaks chains. No one can bind him, it says. That would scare me too. Doesn't cause Jesus to bump his head. He cries out in loud shrieks. These croaks almost is what the word means. That would scare me too. He cuts himself with stones. That's scary. There's probably blood on this guy. He's probably not wearing any clothes at all. It says later that he was clothed and that took people by surprise. So this guy was probably naked running around. I haven't interacted with a naked person in a long time out on the streets. That would usually cause me to run away. All these things could have caused Jesus to reach a ceiling of his encounter and just stop it. But none of this stops Jesus. Lastly, what's the depth of Jesus' encounter here? What's the bottom that Jesus intends for here? What is he trying to get to? Is Is there something that stops him before he strikes gold or before he finds the water at the bottom of the well? Of this encounter. No. Jesus always finds what he intends. He always strikes gold. He always finds the water. He always gets to the bottom of any depth of encounter that he is going for. This man is demon possessed. This person said to him, I don't want you to torture me. He says, I have many demons in me. Legion means It's a Roman army term where there could be anywhere from 5,000 to 6,000 people in a legion army. So this guy, if you look at it literally, could have 5,000 or 6,000 demons in him. And this person says he doesn't want to be sent out of the country. But Jesus presses in deeper. He's present. He shows up on this man's turf. And before he even says a word, this man falls before him. And worships him. Remember we said earlier how worship is a full body experience as we were coming into worship this morning. We said we stand up, we bow our heads, we lift our hands, and we sing. We use all of our body to worship God. And this person, demon-possessed, uncontrollably falls before him, prostrate. Why? Because Jesus was getting to his Again, this is the word that's not used in this passage, but I think is there. He's getting to his soul. And he wants to get to the soul of you and me as well. What is the soul? We sang, bless the Lord, oh my soul. What are we talking about? We're talking about the most you part of you. The part of you that no one can see, that no one can feel except for you. And God. And Jesus. That's the depth that Jesus is getting at here. And what's the cumulative effect of that encounter? We see that the man was sitting normally. The demons were cast out into these pigs. 
The man sits normally. Verse 15 gives us three things. He's sitting there normally, like you guys are, in his right mind. And he was clothed. All of a sudden, he was restored. He was transformed back into a vibrant life, a normal life. But the people saw this, and they were terrified. They said, Jesus, what have you done? Because they saw these pigs go running into the lake. They saw the unclean pigs running into the lake. And they said, you have to leave, Jesus. You've just caused a stir. You've caused something that we're unsure about. And yet when the, when the person that was demon-possessed goes off and tells his friends, what's the last word here in verse 20? When he went around and told everybody, they marveled. They marveled. What's the point for you and me? Jesus is scandalous. When Jesus speaks into culture, into lives, into societies, it's always going to cause a stir, I think. It's always going to cause a little bit of a scandal. Wait, you're taking away my economics? Wait, you're taking away my, my pigs? Wait, you're taking away our, our customs? Jesus kind of comes in and pushes the boundary of our culture and our society to where we, a lot of people are afraid and they say, We don't want that guy here. Actually, can you leave? Get back in your boat and go back to Israel. And yet, when it's people like you and me who have been transformed, and our soul feels the change that has just happened in us, and we begin to share our story about what God has done in us and the mercy he has shown to each of us, when we begin to share that story, people marvel. People aren't afraid of that. People marvel. They're astonished. I'm astonished when I hear stories that people tell me of what God has done in their life. It's attractive. It's powerful. And it's effective. God wants to use you and me to share good news. And he sends us back to our family and to our friends to tell everybody about the love of Christ. So how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ for us More than you can ever imagine. How wide is it? God's love displayed in Christ is infinitely wide. And it's for all people. Think about God opening up the sea for the people of Israel to walk through the ocean. That's how, it's just one example of the width that God opens for his people. How long is it? It's infinitely long and it's for all people. Eternity is God's timing. He uses all of time to declare his love and his glory to the world. Timing is no issue for God. He will relentlessly pursue you, no matter how long it takes. God's timing is perfect. How high is God's love? It's perfectly and infinitely high. It's for all people. There is no height that God will not reach in order to save you. Think about the the images of height in this passage. Tombs. Jesus himself entered into a tomb for you and me. That's a display of his height of love for us. Think of the supernatural strength here that the demon-possessed man had. Jesus gave up divine strength to become weak like you and I, to save you and I. Think about the shrieks or the croaks that this man was screaming out of this unclean spirit. Think about Jesus on the cross crying out, My God, my God, how how hast thou forsaken me? Jesus cried on the cross so that you and I don't have to cry. Think about the stones that this man was cutting himself with. 
Jesus became one who voluntarily took those scars on the cross for us. So we don't have to be cut by those same scars and stones. And think about the nakedness. This man, full of shame, running around naked. And then think of Jesus on that cross, bearing shame and nakedness for people like you and me. That's the height of God's love for us. And ultimately, it culminates in this depth of love, which we're going to sing about in our next song, how deep the Father's love for us, and then which we're going to experience in communion. God's love displayed in Christ is infinitely deep for all people. The lyrics we're about to sing is how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And so as we conclude this sermon, we're going to prepare ourselves for communion, and we're going to do so by singing that song. But let's just remember as we finish that God's love encounters us and changes us at a place that no thing or no one else can. And that's our soul. Jesus is the lover of our soul. And it's wide, and it's high, and it's long, and it's deep. And it's for you and me. Let's pray as we prepare to sing and take communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the lover of our soul. Lord, would you fill us with joy as we sing, and as we prepare to experience once again your power through the taking of the Lord's Supper. We pray all this in Jesus' name.